Sosa, a Latin player from the Dominican Republic, was entertaining but doomed, Bonds declared. As a matter of policy, they'll never let him win, he said. As he sometimes did when he was in a particularly bleak mood, Bonds was channeling racial attitudes picked up from his father, the former giant star Bobby Bonds, and his godfather, the great Willie Mays, both African-American ballplayers, who had experienced virulent racism while starting their professional careers in the Jim Crow South. Barry Bonds himself had never seen anything remotely like that. He had grown up in an affluent white suburb on the San Francisco Peninsula, and his best boyhood friend, his first wife, and his present girlfriend were all white. When Bonds railed about McGuire, he didn't articulate who they were, or how the supposed conspiracy to rig the home run record was being carried out. But his brooding anger was real enough, and it continued throughout a year in which he batted 303, hit 37 home runs, made the All-Star team for the eighth time, and was almost completely ignored. For, as the 1998 season unfolded, the attention of all baseball focused on McGuire's home run chase and on his gentlemanly rivalry with Sosa. The quest to hit 61 home runs transfixed even casual fans in the way that a great pennant race used to do in the old days. Something about McGuire's appearance the red hair and the freckled, craggy face that sometimes burst into a winning smile, seemed to invite affectionate hyperbole. The sports writers who covered him wrote that McGuire had Popeye's forearms and shoulders as broad as Paul Bunyan's. McGuire's home run chase was a metaphor for the best in America, a newspaper editor told an Iowa professor who was studying the chase as a cultural phenomenon. It was more significant than the ascent on Mount Everest, as San Francisco Giants marketing man Pat Gallagher proclaimed. And from acting baseball commissioner Bud Selig down to its ordinary fans, all agreed that McGuire's pursuit of the home run record was hugely important. It had made watching the sport of baseball enjoyable again for the first time in quite a while. Baseball's fans are among the most forgiving in all sports, but the toxic relations between team owners and the players' union had put the fans' patience to the test for a generation. From 1971 through 1990, seven baseball seasons had been interrupted by labor disputes. The eighth interruption, which began in August 1994, lasted 234 days and led to the cancellation of the World Series for the only time since World War I. It also nearly killed the game. As always... Both the union and the owners claimed the dispute was about baseball's future. Actually, it was just another fight about money. For fans, the dispute was dispiriting and pointless, an argument between millionaires and billionaires. The owners finally reopened the ballparks and the players slunk back into them two weeks after the 1995 season had been scheduled to start. In park after park, they were greeted with a cascade of boos, Many fans just stayed away. Then in 1998, McGuire's assault on Maris's record brought the fans back to baseball in droves. The Cardinals' home attendance, which had languished since the lockout, would top 3.1 million, a club record, and other National League clubs saw big gains as well. In August, when McGuire had already hit 43 bombs, a veteran Associated Press writer named Steve Wilstein stopped by the big Cardinals' locker in Bush Stadium, as he waited for McGuire to emerge from the shower, Wilstein noted items in plain view on a locker shelf. A photo of McGuire with his 10-year-old son, 
a can of Popeye brand spinach, a bottle of a product called Androstenedione. Wilstein assumed it was some sort of vitamin. But Andro was more than that. The product was a testosterone booster marketed by Patrick Arnold, a renegade chemist who was pioneering the development of steroids that would be undetectable by the most sophisticated laboratory tests. Andro was legal, but it had been banned by the International Olympic Committee, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, and the National Football League. Olympic doping experts told Wilstein that Andro had the same muscle-building effects as anabolic steroids, which Congress had outlawed in 1991. Andro was a steroid, by another name. In the Olympics, using Andro was considered cheating. Users who got caught were banned. Baseball, however, had no rules against steroid use and a different attitude about cheating. From corking bats to doctoring balls to hiding a coach with binoculars in the scoreboard to steal signs, the impulse to cut corners was almost as old as the game itself. Perhaps because of the sport's antipathy to weightlifting, steroids were slow to catch on. For much of the game's history, players were discouraged from pumping iron lest they lose the flexibility and quick wrists needed to get around on the pitched ball. That began to change in the mid to late 1980s. By his own account, the typhoid Mary of steroid use in the big leagues was the Cuban slugger Jose Canseco, the first player to hit 40 home runs and steal 40 bases in the same season. Canseco was also McGuire's teammate on the dominating Oakland Athletics clubs of the 1980s. In 2005, out of baseball, financially strapped and on probation for assault, Canseco would write a confessional memoir claiming to have single-handedly changed the game of baseball by popularizing weight training and performance-enhancing drugs. Canseco said his own career proved that strength conditioning, when combined with steroids and human growth hormone, translated into a higher batting average and more power. He claimed that drugs could transform a good player into a great one. After his Rookie of the Year season in 1985, when he hit 33 home runs, Canseco claimed other players began to emulate him, and weight training and juicing swept the game. In the book's most enduring image, Canseco described going into the bathroom at the Oakland Coliseum with McGuire before A's games. There, he wrote, the two sluggers would inject themselves with his steroid decadurabolin, then take the field. But in 1998, Canseco's disclosures about his famous teammate were far in the unanticipated future. And in 1998, McGuire had been caught only with Andro, not with Growth or Decca. Still, the AP's revelation that McGuire was using a drug that would have gotten him banned from the Olympic Games pushed its way into the headlines. Many in baseball's establishment reacted with outrage, not at McGuire, but at Wilstein, the writer who broke the story. Leading the attack was Tony La Russa, the Cardinals' tightly wound manager. He lashed out at the media, agitating to ban the Associated Press from the Cards' clubhouse on the spurious grounds that Wilstein had violated an unwritten baseball rule by looking in McGuire's locker. Acting Commissioner Selig promised baseball would commission a scientific study about the health effects of performance-enhancing drugs, but he made clear he would take no action regarding McGuire and Andro. Soon, the Andro story faded. Stubborn pitchers continued to challenge McGuire, and he continued to drive the ball. The rate at which he hit homers was unprecedented. 
once every 7.27 at-bats, far above Ruth's career average of 11.76. And the distances they traveled inspired awe. At Bush Stadium, where the center field fence was 402 feet from home plate, he hit a 545-foot shot that slammed into a seat in the second deck. The club marked the spot by painting a big picture of a Band-Aid there. A home run in the thin air of Denver sailed out of Coors Field, bounced through the player's parking lot, and finally came to rest against the fence 700 feet from the plate. McGuire hit number 62 on September 8th in St. Louis, amidst a wild celebration and before a national TV audience, and then continued hitting bombs, five of them in his final 11 at-bats, including two on the last day of the season, to finish with 70, four ahead of Sosa. In 36 seasons, no baseball player had topped the 60-home run mark, and now two players had blown past it in the same year. Many at the time said McGuire's 1998 season was the greatest offensive performance in the history of the sport. On the West Coast, Barry Bonds was astounded and aggrieved by the outpouring of hero worship for McGuire, a hitter whom he regarded as obviously inferior to himself. Bonds was 33 years old, had played in the big leagues for 12 years, and was known for an unusual combination of speed and power. In 1993, when he joined the Giants, Bonds had signed what was then the richest contract in the game, $43.75 million for six years. In 1996, he had become the second player in history after Canseco to hit 40 home runs and steal 40 bases in the same season. Bonds knew he was on his way to the Hall of Fame. For as long as he had played baseball, Bonds had regarded himself as better than every other player he encountered. And almost always, he was right. But as the 1990s...